We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Captain Rogers and Iron Man are both gone. Who do you think's gonna lead the Avengers? I could lead them. <laughs> For this week's bonus episode, the 26th and most divisive film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Eternals. It is directed by reigning Best Director winner Chloe Zhao. It stars, buckle up, Oz. Gemma Chan as Cersei, Richard Madden as Icarus, Kumail Nanjiani as Kingo, Leah McHugh as Sprite, Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos, Lauren Ridloff as Makari, Barry Kehoe as Druig, Mei Dung Siuk as Gilgamesh, Selma Hayek as Ajak, Angelina Jolie, 10th billing as Thena, and then Kit Harrington as the King of the North. Um... 
The Eternals, this is the plot synopsis. The Eternals are a team of ancient aliens who have been living on Earth in secret for thousands of years. When an unexpected tragedy forces them out of the shadows, they are forced to reunite against mankind's most ancient enemy, the Deviants. More on that in a second. Oz, first of all, how are you this morning? I'm well. Taking my son to his first ever Knicks game tonight, so it's a, it's an exciting day. There you go. And when, when people will hear this, they will know just how much fun or not fun you both had <laughs> at said Knicks game. Um, okay, this movie. It is impossible to talk about it solely in the bubble of how we feel because it's being, I want to say destroyed by critics, but this is easily the most poorly divisive, a poorly rated film um, on Rotten Tomatoes so far. And, you know, we use that rubric as part of our final review while also acknowledging it's not a perfect rubric. That If you see something's 48% on Rotten Tomatoes, it doesn't mean that it's 48% good. It just means that less than half of the critics didn't think it's at least a six. Having said that, Half the critics don't think this is at least a six, which is kind of amazing when you look at it. Let me ask you this first. Why do you think this was so poorly reviewed? What do you think is the main reason why this seemed to be the punching bag for Disney? Well, let's first eliminate about 20% of Rotten Tomatoes critics who are people who have gotten accreditation there through uh, shitty nerd culture YouTube channels and things like that, uh, who came in. I mean, just just being practical here, there's a... There's uh-huh. a there's a significant portion of the audience for on Rotten Tomatoes and in general that that come into these things with certain uh, political notions that undergird their thoughts on movies. And when this is one of the first big budget blockbusters to have a same sex male kiss in it, uh, when it's directed by an Asian woman, when the lead of the film is really an Asian woman, when it has a deaf woman, interracial couples, really every trigger warning for shitty people is is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think that accounts for some of it and for some of the, the vitriol around the discussion online. Leaving them aside, I, I think I, I get it. I get why people don't like it because it's not really an MCU movie. It doesn't feel like an MCU movie, it's less quippy, it's more portentous and heavy, which I liked, but I I, I get why some don't like that. It, it also it's it's kind of a mess. It's kind of shaggy. It's it has some stuff happening, I think, beneath the surface that's kind of a meta a meta commentary both on these sorts of movies and the industry that creates them, but also the the characters here and I I think it's one that's going to age well, but I, I get why a lot of people are leaving it quite unhappy. It has by far the worst cinema score ever for a, an MCU movie, also, which is uh, that that reflects you know how normal people are reacting to it in theaters, and it's it's quite poor. Fifty three percent Metacritic as well, so it's across the board. This is this is the least well re- uh, received movie amongst the industry. Um, I don't want to disagree with you about the shitty people that review movies. Um, I did do a lot of digging over the past two days since I saw it, and I just have flatly not seen that been brought up. The fact that it's Chloe that's directing oh. it, the fact that Brian Tyree Henry, maybe there are a few exceptions to what I missed, but there is there are some very consistent things that I've found people don't like about it, particularly the runtime. This movie is 10 minutes shorter than Infinity War, and I felt it personally. I don't know if that's necessarily... A, 
enough to say that it's not a six, but I understand if there are some pacing issues for some people. The common thing I've seen is too ambitious. And when you have to introduce 10 new characters into your movie and you don't really get to dedicate enough time to get to know all 10 of these characters. And as you heard from the plot synopsis, they're not from here. And then as the plot unfolds, they're not really there's not really that much humanity. So then when you get to the stakes of this movie, some things happen throughout the course of the storytelling that don't really have the emotional punch for some people if you don't buy in. And what I kind of landed on was more that aside from all the script issues that you mentioned that like there is a mess in front of me, there's one storyline that just does not have a payoff for me. Having said all of that, This movie, and I think the MCU in general, requires a lot of buy-in, and we're at the point in the cinematic universe where you're either in, so that way they'll put 10 new characters and tell you they're important, and you'll just be like, okay, great, I'm in. These these 10 people matter, they're going to save the world, and then we'll move on to the next one. Or you're out. And I almost wonder if there's a hint of Disney fatigue. This will be the third of four MCU films in six months. There's the industry pushback to these movies. You know, you infamously, well, it's not infamously. I kind of agree with your rant against big budget movies and how people didn't go see The Last Duel, how that does like $20 million. And this one of the more poorly reviewed movies in the MCU did $70 million already this weekend. I think all of it is, is collectively part of why this has been so divisive. Do you agree? At least this requires so much buy-in and if it's how much you buy in will depend on how much you like it. Look, you're right about the buy-in and above and beyond the buy-in. I think that fatigue has become a real thing. I don't feel it, but so many people that I talk to mention it, that it, it has to be a thing that's out there. And part of it, well, you mentioned that this is the third MCU movie this year. We've also had four MCU TV shows and mm-hmm. well, two of them are quite good. Two of them are, one of them is quite bad and one of them falls somewhere in the middle. Um, that means you've had kind of a weekly commitment to the MCU since the beginning of this year, uh, more or less, which means you you see this stuff every single week. And it, it is a little hard when we've moved beyond not just the, the A-listers and the B-listers and the C-listers. I'm a nerd. I have a bunch of fucking comic books. My kid is named Logan because Logan is Wolverine. Uh, I don't know who the fuck these characters are. The only character in this movie that I I knew going in is the Kit Harrington character, who is the least important character in this movie. So this is really, this is some super deep cut stuff. And it's also getting into a far nerdier, less approachable element of comic book bullshit uh, that they're still kind of feeling out how to do. Because when they start doing this space opera stuff. You can do it in the sort of fun James Gunn way, which is easy to buy into. Or you end up in these sort of epic, um, shaggy movies like this, and it, it's more of a mixed bag. And this this is, I think it's just the future of the MCU is going to be more strange stuff that sometimes works really, really well and sometimes doesn't work at all. I, I quite like Shang-Chi, um, which is, I know Marvel always likes to say it's a, you know, it's a spy movie, not just a superhero movie or we, whatever else. But I, look, I think the sort of wuxia element and the magical world stuff in that is, is easier to buy into. I think this one's a little harder to buy into. And I, I 
definitely have some issues with it overall, though I found it I found it rather effective and affecting. Well, that's the thing, is that based on your amount of buy-in, while admitting that every single consistent critique of this movie or pushback to this movie that I've seen, I can't necessarily say there's much I've disagreed with. And having said all of that, I kind of dug it. I, I really don't walk away from this movie that all that negative. Um, like we'll get into scores at the very end, but for the majority of it, I was entertained. I can understand the back and forth through timelines that could be confusing. The the lack of attachment to the characters because like too ambitious really is the perfect critique of this movie. It introducing 10 new characters. It's covering a timeline that ranges from the beginning of time to present day. And it's asking you to buy that these people are saving all of humanity this time while throwing away a line that's just they didn't save it the last time throughout the MCU because they weren't supposed to until now. And yet I still I still dug it. I was still very entertained through throughout most of this movie. I don't I, I've seen a few people say it doesn't look great. Yeah, it might look like a lot of the other MCU films, but I, all the action scenes are coherent. The the visual effects I thought were fine. The deviants actually did look pretty cool from from my perspective, at least. I mean, we could talk a little bit about the humor, but while some jokes don't land, when you give Kumail Nanjiani just the freedom to cook, he absolutely cooks throughout this movie. Uh, what were some of the things you enjoyed most about this movie? I, I hear what people are saying about the visuals because there there are moments that seem almost a little a little murky. And it doesn't quite pop the way Chloe Zhao's work usually does, mm-hmm. um, but it's still far more visually interesting than like Black Widow or something like that, which seems yeah. like it was made in a lab. Um, uh, I, I actually found, and and I think it was purposeful, and I think Zhao makes. There's a moment in the movie that makes clear that it's purposeful. She cast these people to shortcut some of the work that might otherwise be needed to introduce 10 characters in a movie. The fact that Angelina Jolie is playing the crazy one um, with damaged anger issues, uh, that is very easy shortcut casting for what you would expect Angelina Jolie to do mm. in a movie. That we'll Camille, talk about that in a second. I, it didn't work for me as much as it did for you, apparently. Whether, whether, whether the performance worked or not, it's an easy shortcut. You know who she's playing. That Richard Madden is playing the, the sort of stoic leader figure of the team. Well, that's what he's known for playing on Game of Thrones, that Gemma Chan, who's probably best known for Humans, which is a show about robots becoming sentient, um, does the same sort of kind of moping and dealing with her destiny thing she does here. I I think there's a moment where uh, Richard Madden and Kit Harington come face to face. It was probably the loudest moment of my audience's reactions to mine as well. Yes, Uh, it's it's very clear that there's a meta element here. She knew exactly what she was doing, putting those two actors on the screen together and putting them together in this sort of face-off, head-to-head sort of way. It was definitely a meta reference, a, a, a knowing nod to what the people who care about this movie already bring to the table with those actors. And for me, that made it a little easier to to just kind of go with the flow. I mean, all, all of these superhero characters are kind of ciphers. They're used differently by different directors. I, the the Batman of Zack Snyder is very different than the Batman of Tim Burton. And I, I think that 
Jaw is aware that it, on some level, it kind of doesn't matter because all of these are archetypical figures. And she also makes pretty clear that Angelina Jolie is playing Marvel Wonder Woman and Richard Madden is playing Marvel Superman. And you can you can come up with a cute little analog for all of them. Brian Tyree Henry is the Green Lantern. They, they all have a little analog to a very archetypical set of skills and powers. And I think it, it's it's a smooth enough way to make the casting work and to introduce all of these people. It's also one of these, I, I, these overstuffed Marvel movies, they almost tend to feel less overstuffed when you go back to them. So Iron Man 2 in real time got crushed for having so much shit going on. Why, why is um, Scarlett Johansson kind of shoehorned into this? Why is all this S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff happening that doesn't really have anything to do with the main Mickey Rourke plot? And when you go back to it now, the movie still isn't isn't perfect or isn't great, but that stuff feels a little more natural years later when we're used to the storytelling style. And I think once these characters are part of our lives a little more, and clearly there's going to be an Eternals 2 or the Eternals will show up in seven other MCU movies. Uh, I, I think once these become you know things we're used to, the shortcutting in, in retrospect is going to end up feeling less strange. And it, part of it is because they're they're making a really long TV show here and everyone knows they're making a really really long tv show that you just have to go see in a theater three or four times a year fair um i lot to unpack there hold on so there's the, the angelina jolie casting i i more just have a theory that she went to somebody because her kids like the mcu and said i just want to be in a marvel movie and they were like all right we have this part that's only 20 minutes in this new eternals movie you could be the 10th most important character to this movie if you'd like like fine she plays the crazy one none of what's happening to her is really all that explained and yet she gets a pretty important scene at the end of the movie and i didn't have as much of an attachment while at that point having enough buy-in that it's like all right i know how this will end and i guess angelina jolie is i guess thena is going to be the one that that concludes this storyline um the game of thrones references that you mentioned it's more than just richard madden meeting kit harrington in the middle of the street and the entire theater going brother um Gemma chan's character's name is cersei and throughout the entire movie Rob Stark is professing his love for Cersei, and so is Jon Snow. There is a point toward the end where uh, Kit Harrington mentions that his family history is complicated. Yeah? Did you have sex with your aunt after you found out that you're actually the rightful heir to the throne? Is that... Did, did people debate your family ancestry for decades? You know? Like, yes, you could say that it's meta, but I almost... I don't know if that's a strength of the movie and more took me out of the movie at times. You mentioned Brian Tyree Henry's character, and this is a critique that I disagree with a lot of people on because what's given to him and why he ends up turning his back on humanity, but then coming back into seeing why humanity is worth saving. Cause that's honestly like the entire point of, of the movie is like, is humanity worth saving? Cause a, a plot point in the middle lets you know that the earth is literally going to explode. And then all of these Eternals are given the internal question of like, well, aren't these people worth saving? Like, we've been here for thousands of years. Should we let the process play out or should we actually try to reverse what's about to happen? And Brian Tyree Henry's character is given the most to drive that point home. And it's why he's probably my second favorite character in this movie outside of Kamel, who I just I want to see an entire Kingo 
give him a home show. I'll watch all of his Bollywood movies. I'm all game for Kumail Nanjiani to play more roles in this universe. What are some other characters that worked for you? Let's start. Let's go to there because I already mentioned Kingo. Kumail Nanjiani is really funny in this. I read that he was basically allowed to say his own one-liners like an Adam McKay movie and they just kept the ones that they thought were the funniest. Uh, I mentioned Fastos, Brian Tyree Henry, who low-key is one of my favorite actors working today and he's able to be your supporting character that's just kind of shows up 90 minutes into the movie because in most of the things he's good in, he just kind of shows up for 10 minutes. And if Beale street can talk or widows or three episodes of Atlanta as a supporting character, and that's what he's good at. What are some of the things that you like? I totally agree with you about both of those actors. I think they're, they're good fits for the material. They also, they're the ones who bring a little bit of levity to the material and it's appreciated because look, Gemma Chan and, and Richard Madden do a lot of moping here. Uh, I really like Harish Patel, who plays uh, Kumail's manservant, valet, Cameraman. manager, whatever he is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that guy, that guy's hilarious and absolutely kills his, you know, 11 lines in this movie. Uh, I think he's great. Uh, the other one who who stood out to me, I, I thought Don Lee, who plays Gilgamesh, who's the love interest for the Angelina Jolie character, was was very effectively deployed. I actually found their scenes together kind of touching. And I like that he's cast very much against type for what you might suspect is the typical love interest for an Angelina Jolie played character. And I thought Barry Keough brings a little, a little extra malice to mm-hmm. his part, which isn't to say he's a, a villainous character, but he he's he balances out the sort of puppy dog sweetness of some of the other players here with a little bit more of an edge, and I I like that about him. Look, I, I the thing we haven't touched on, which is sort of related to this, this movie is is all over the place, not just in the commentary that we're making about it sense, but it's like seven thousand years of history in in a in a oddball structure, it's very oddly built out how the flashbacks occur when you come back to real time, how the flashbacks occur, even to times within the story that you have not seen yet or different perspectives on scenes that you've already, already witnessed. And it, it's, it's just, it, it's kind of odd and it, it fucks up the pacing in a way that I think for some, for me, I, I found it pretty compelling, but I get why someone would leave the movie and be like, just as I was getting into it, you flash back to a week earlier and spent 15 minutes on a scene. I, 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 what the fuck is going on? We were at the end game of this movie and now we're flashing back for a while. I get why that would put people out of it and kind of make the runtime feel like more of a, more of a drag and more of a grind. Kit Harrington, like you said, is only in the movie for the, the very beginning and the very end and then jumps on FaceTime in the middle for a few seconds. Um, Richard Madden became Icarus pretty much throughout the movie. He's also something happens with his character that I almost wonder if just more explanation is needed, which is weird because we're talking about a movie that a lot of people have called too long, but I could have used like four more lines to let me know why he's the perceived leader and why one other character has this undying loyalty to him as opposed to to somebody else, you know? We're we're talking around the sort of late flashback in the movie that yeah. I, I, I just mentioned. And I, I think that scene is a huge hinge for people. Folks who found that scene reasonably effective, as I did, I think tended to like the movie more just based on the discourse I've seen. I actually found it effective. And I, I thought that Madden, I agree there's not a clear explanation for what's happening with his character. Um, 
um, that at least is laid out in the text of the movie. But I, I found him actually surprisingly effective in performance. I, I don't think he's a particularly, you know, I don't think he has a huge broad set of skills as an actor. I think he has <laughs> one or two gears that he does quite well. And, and I, I thought that he he sells the the conflict of that role more effectively than I, I would have thought in his wheelhouse. And I, I have a lot of thoughts on the Kit Harrington character, but I'll, I'll save it for the spoiler section. Spoiler at the end. part, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will just say I was less convinced by maybe his conflict I agree with you on, but the chemistry with him and the Gemma Chan character, Icarus and Cersei just didn't have the the necessary chemistry for me to believe that he then... His conclusion is what his conclusion is, you know, like he actually makes a decision at the very end of this movie that is motivated by his internal conflict that I was just talking about that just I was never really bought into to that relationship. So I, I unfortunately it didn't work as well for me. Uh, Sprite, I, I man, given so very little to the point where uh, this this character does something at the end and I just I felt nothing especially when it's reversed within a matter of seconds and it was almost as if my whole thought to this character throughout the movie was just go away you know um I what did you think of Sprite that for me easily the weakest of the Eternals I I agree with that it look this this movie definitely at times and I know that that Chloe Zhao said that there was a version of this where they had 12 Eternals and not 10 Eternals, which I guess is more comic book accurate. Uh, that is certainly a character where if we were going to pare this down to say seven Eternals, uh, that would have been one of my first, my first cuts. I, I don't think that character is, is effective, but so much of this, and it, it, it's, it's the Harrington character too. So much of this is not just about this movie, but it's about, all of the movies that can now flow forth from the new space angle that the Eternals brings to the table. And I, I, I'm perhaps more forgiving these days because I, for years, long before it was the thing that everyone talks about, have thought of the MCU like a giant TV show. It's just you know, the stuff I've said in conversation to friends. It's just how it's processed in my brain. And I look at the, I look at Eternals and I see a pilot for like a spinoff TV show of this grand <laughs> MCU thing that I've been watching for forever, as opposed to Shang-Chi, which resolves in a way that makes it clear that, oh, this is the new season of the show I'm used to. Eternals is like, here's the sort of tangentially related thing that's going to create like four more movies in in my immediate future. And they sort of teed up what, what angles. I think it's really clear, taking a step back, that there's kind of a, a Thunderbolts angle, which are like sort of anti-hero characters that's coming largely from the Disney Plus shows. I think it's clear they're doing a Young Avengers angle, which is pretty clear with the uh, with the Florence Pugh character in Black mm-hmm. Widow, and obviously the Haley Steinfeld character in the Hawkeye show that's coming, uh, among many others. It's clear there's a multiverse thing happening with Loki and Doctor Strange and WandaVision, and there's another thing happening, which I think th- this movie clears up what a lot of these other outlying projects are, and I think it's actually a good idea to have you know, three or four different infinity sagas going on at once that kind of exist in their own lanes. And presumably it's all going to come together in some sort of super Avengers movie at some point down the line to try to best end game uh, at the <laughs> box office, at least. And uh, obviously we're, we're going to get there, but I think we're all these things are going to stay in their sort of lanes for the next, you know, three to five years before we, we get our next super duper team up. 
Yeah. I'm I'm curious to see where this goes from here. I'm I'm honestly and we'll discuss it in just a second because it's time to wrap up the non-spoiler section, but I am curious to see where it goes from here from the second post-credit scene. Um cuz that was I mean, do you want to talk about theater reactions? The the loudest I reacted in the theater was the absolute the last the the moment I heard a certain character's voice is all I will say. Um but we should get into spoilers so we can talk about it. Uh, we wrap up every episode asking what your score is. I've picked up on the fact that you don't like giving movies scores. Uh, interesting that you chose a podcast with the format of literally us giving scores to every single movie of all time. I think rankings are better than scores. I think. Okay. I think that you know what? Honestly, this is the movie that breaks scores for me the most. I I have no fucking idea what to give it because I think I'm going to give it a seven out of 10 as a score, but that doesn't really mean anything because there are parts of it I'm more frustrated with than nearly any MCU movie. There are parts of it that I liked better than most MCU movies. And I think it's a well, at worst, it's a well-crafted, well-made film. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a seven. So that's where it's interesting that you had so much consternation about whether to give it, what score to give it. And I'm walking out of the theater. I was like, yeah, it's like a six or a seven, you know? So it's around that same range. Uh, the more I've gotten away from it and understood that I just, I just might be all in, you know, like you and I love baseball and baseball does a lot of things. Like for me, there are things I don't love about what baseball and how the game has changed that require a little more buy-in from me just because I love the sport. You seem to like a lot of the changes that have come to baseball, which is why you'll be more excited about new things that get introduced than I will. So I think I'm at a six, but give me a couple years and a couple rewatches and to see, you know, where the rest of the MCU goes. I was not the biggest fan of Captain America First Avenger the first time I saw it. Then I saw where the rest of the MCU went and realized, oh, that's actually a pretty great origin story to this character, Steve Rogers, that we that we come to love. And I think I really think that Eternals has potential to age a lot better in hindsight. But in the moment, uh, I can understand people in this universe where a Ridley Scott drama, like, I, man, I was thinking so much about The Last Duel while watching this. It's it's almost the same runtime, and this movie's going to do triple what that movie did overall in its opening weekend. And one is, I mean, look, The Last Duel is significantly better than this, but I don't know if that even matters. This is meant to be something completely different than a, a one-off like The Last Duel. Um yeah, I, I think I'm at a 6 out of 10 for now. What could absolutely see it changing in the future. Let me just get a follow-up question on that. Yeah, what's up? Um, if you had to pick next week, um, this is sort of a would-you-rather question, but but gun <laughs> to your head, would you rather watch Black Widow next week or Eternals? Ooh. I think, obviously, Shang-Chi wins this conversation for anyone, because that's great. But Shang-Chi's in my... I mean, I was going to ask you a, a rankings question in a second. Shang-Chi's in my top 10. I oh, yeah, I love 90% of that movie. The last... I, the dragon fight at the end, I'm, I was like, eh. But I might have my third favorite villain of the MCU, to be completely honest. Totally agree. I'd probably say... See, here's the issue. I'd probably say this, but... The issue I have with Black Widow is way more about when it came out rather than what came out. I, why are we getting a Scarlett Johansson movie after I know the destiny of her character? So like all of the stakes in the last 20 minutes I know are, are non-existent because it's like, yeah, I know she doesn't die here. You know, I've, I've watched Endgame. I, I think, well, the, the telling part is your answer, which is you said probably Eternals. 
And that's because, and I, you saw Eternals this weekend. You probably, I don't know when you last saw Black Widow, but I imagine it was months ago. And July. Yeah. July. So <laughs> there we go. Uh, and the fact that you're more interested next week in watching this movie again than Black Widow says something because Black Widow is in the worst way, a, a cog in the machine. Uh, you, you ask why is it coming out then and why is ScarJo in this movie? Because they can pay ScarJo to be in that movie uh, eventually after a lawsuit. And <laughs> And that drives audience interest and engagement in a way that we're just rebooting Black Widow and putting in this very good actress who's not at all a star uh, with some other fun supporting characters in the mix uh, so that we can have a Black Widow for the next 10 years of the MCU. That's a much easier sell to audiences when you put ScarJo in it and pretend that it's like, oh, this is our, we've been planning this for forever to do a ScarJo movie. No, it's a it's a pilot for the Yelena element that's now mm-hmm. going to pepper every Disney Plus show for the next for the next three years. And that that's fine, but that's sort of the cold, cynical machinery of it. I liked Black Widow. I like all these things. But you know, Black Widow is, I think, the most perhaps the most cynical MCU movie that's ever been made from a why does this exist perspective, as opposed to Eternals, which I actually think is trying to push against the strictures of the MCU machinery. It's trying thematically to do something a little broader and more interesting than the MCU movies, which look, I, I don't want to get into this at cinema or not, but Scorsese's not wrong there. They are roller coaster rides and that's fucking fun. Like two hours of, of stuff blowing up all around me with a nice quippy thing. I've never had a bad time at one of these movies. And Chloe Zhao seems very open to giving me something that's closer to a bad time at one of these things. And I think that is, uh, I think that's admirable as we see so much sameness otherwise. It's interesting that you mentioned Eternals next to Black Widow because that's exactly where I have it in my rankings, right? One right ahead of the other uh, in, in my in all 26 movies. Uh, I didn't ask you ahead of time to rank all 26 movies. So what I'll do is I'll name a movie going from my bottom up and see if you have Eternals ahead of it. Um, first couple, I, I think, are pretty easy. The Incredible Hulk. Uh, yeah, Eternals is better. Dark World. Eternals is better. Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, Eternals is better. Iron Man 2. Eternals is better. Captain Marvel. Eternals is better, but we're getting closer. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Eternals. Iron Man 3. Eternals, but barely. They're about a coin flip for me. Thor. The first Thor. Easily Eternals. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, in in the ranking that I, I'm processing in my brain, they're they're next to one another so i'm gonna i'm gonna say eternals for being a little more interesting and everyone hates chris pratt in particular these days so uh-huh. let's let's <laughs> let's go with uh let's go with eternals dr strange i struggle with dr strange i i'm kind of low on it but i think i'm unfairly low on it i haven't seen it since it first came out on streaming services and such i i didn't get my rewatch done when i did a ranking last year so i, I i'm gonna say eternals but i i feel like I feel like I need to give Doctor Strange another chance. I do too, because I've seen it. I've seen it only once, and it was the weekend, the weekend that it came out, which conveniently was the week of the 2016 election. I was not oh. in a good mood when I saw that. That's movie. that's not a yeah. That's not a happy <laughs> yeah. time. Uh, so Black Widow, we already discussed it. You put Eternals, Eternals is ahead better of than that. Black Widow. Yeah. So Eternals is my 15th of the 26th. I have it right in the middle of the MCU, so it makes it if you want to say top 15 MCU film. Um, Spider-Man Far From Home 
I prefer Far From Home. You know, I, I'm I'm sort of ranking on the fly as we do it, and right. I think if we omit the TV shows because I would have Wandavision and Loki ahead of it, also I would, I would also it, I would have it as 14th. So we're in in almost exactly the same place. Would you have Ant Man ahead of it? Uh, I would not have Ant Man ahead of it. I actually prefer Ant Man and the Wasp to Ant Man. Ah, okay. Uh, first Avenger, Captain America, First Avenger. If I will we'll do an MCU ranking one of these days, but I, I have very I have high some view. very strong views on First Avenger. And then the top eleven or top eleven. So, um, I, I no, not necessary for us to go through the rest. However, would this change any ranking that we've done so far? Any top fives throughout our final reviews? Superhero films, production design. Although we, te- we technically haven't done a production design yet, <laughs> we, we, we've recorded it on our on our mythical lost episode. Uh-huh. But someday we're gonna we're gonna get to you, dear yes, listeners. Don't worry. Um, no, there's I I can't think of any any categories. Even if we did Jolie, I don't think it would make Jolie. And really, none of the other actors in this movie have resumes sufficient to do one of these mm-hmm. sort of rankings for them. Unless I'm unless I'm missing somebody. I, I'm not familiar enough with like Don Lee's Korean cinema to, to know if where this should rank for him. And uh, Barry Keough as is a super interesting actor, but has a, you know, largely indie stuff that, you know, only you and I have seen. So Barry Keough has like three things that I, I rank that that would be distant above what he does in this movie. That's not even say he's bad in this movie, but his character in killing of a sacred deer is like up might be in my villains ranking one day, you know? Um, I, I, I like him in green Knight very much. Yeah, he's not, he's green not Knight in as much, well. but I, I quite like him there doing a similar performance. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk about spoilers. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So we're talking about spoilers, and the first one I want to say, and I hinted at it about storylines that go nowhere, the deviants in this movie are meant to be the big bad, and the plot synopsis that I copy and pasted from Letterboxd, and it's really like the main plot synopsis that you see. The Eternals are here to fight the deviants. Midway through this movie, you find out they're actually more meant to just preserve humankind so that way the planet warms up enough so that way a celestial being can burst from the middle of the planet and it's like an allegory for global warming fine um and i i i'm there with that and the celestials being the big bad that we have to stop and i'm all for the icarus twist which i I, honestly you said that that's divisive of whether or not people are okay with the fact that richard madden's character icarus kills Sama Hayek, Ajak, and that's why all of this is even happening throughout the movie. And he's the actual person that they have to stop at the, in the in the final the, the the climax of the film. What does not work for me is that they've been fighting deviants throughout this entire movie, and then at the very end, personified deviant played by Bill Skarsgård shows up, and it's like, all right, Thena, you take care of him. Like we, we it's been six on one throughout this movie, and now it's just hey, Athena. G- Go full Tomb Raider and kick his ass so that way this storyline can end, which made me wonder why this was given so much importance throughout the movie. What do you think? I, I think it's a fair complaint. I, I can't say that I have anything to contribute from the actual comics on this beyond some very vague knowledge of the Celestials from like Fantastic Four stuff. But um, I, I think that's fair. I think it's also clear that everyone is a pawn in the Celestials games. And I, I think where we're heading with all of this is that the deviants are, are not really relevant to anything that's going to happen in the future. So having it, ha- having the, the boss deviant uh, dispensed pretty readily is not a huge deal. Cause I think a lot of this is table setting. My, my guess here, I don't actually know anything, but my guess here is it's a lot of table setting for fantastic four because Galactus is kind of a celestial or similar to a celestial and I somebody can feel free to correct me on Twitter but at least in concept seems an awful lot like these giant floating fucking spacemen and that is <laughs> that is a core peak Fantastic Four villain and I think a lot of the setup here a lot of what what's happening with this thing that now exists in the world so we 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 now know that there's a celestial in and on earth that's like partially breached I wonder if that ends up being the the backdoor for how we get cosmic rays and how we create the fantastic four because it's clear we're not going to pretend that these things were on earth and didn't exist we're just creating new we've already done that here so we're going to 
do origin stories um, again and again and again as we introduce X-Men and whatever else. But I think that the introduction of this um, influence on Earth gives us a way to get mutants to the extent we don't already have mutants and gives us a way to get um, cosmic, more cosmic shit that we'll need for the more mainstream cosmic stuff that is is coming down the pike. But yeah, the, the deviants are kind of cool designs and then dis- just dispensed with when the, the shift to you know evil Superman happens. The other part about, I've seen the lack of humanity because you find out midway through that these aren't necessarily aliens, the Eternals, that they're all robots. Yeah. So then you get the Gilgamesh death, you get the Ajax death, you get Sprite stabbing Cersei through the back. I felt nothing in each of these. Even Icarus flying into the sun. Neither did she, it seemed. Well, because that's the thing, because Cersei just kind of turns the dagger into water, and it's like, all right, so that that moment that was supposed to be shocking is just kind of nothing. I think it needs to be nothing to redeem the character. I think in order, if, 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 if Gemma Chan almost dies in that moment, if she's utterly enfeebled as a result, then I don't think you can salvage that character and give her like a nice, happy end point. Yeah. I I'm, agree- I'm agreeing the- with you. I-, I agree with that completely. I'm saying the fact that it's played in the moment as a literally getting stabbed in the back. And even I was like, I have no emotional connection to Cersei, let alone to Sprite. These are robots. I, I don't necessarily see the humanity in most of them. However, what I hinted at earlier with Brian Tyree Henry's character, and I heard this complaint about the Hiroshima scene that they flash to the the infamous um is it do they go to Hiroshima or Nagasaki? It's, it's Hiroshima. Hiroshima, okay. So he feels responsible for having trusted humanity with new uh, inventions, with um, the the ability to use his work for in his brain for good, and they used the tools um, at their disposal to create the uh, one of the atom bombs. Um, and he feels that responsibility. And I've heard that it's like irresponsible to make him be the thing that in the real world is actually one of the more horrible incidents that have happened in human history. I actually kind of bought it as a, as a part of the larger question is humanity worth saying, saving Oz, I watched the entire Aaron Rodgers interview leading right before I went to uh, this, this, my screening of this movie. I had the question like, is humanity worth saving? I'm kind of surprised the Eternals deeped over their souls and were like, okay, we got to decide whether a turtle, uh, this planet is worth saving and didn't walk away with actually, you know what? I'm kind of on their side here. I'm kind of on Icarus's side about, you know what? Like, let's just hit reset on all of this. <laughs> uh, having said all of that, I actually, when you then see Brian Tyree Henry and the relationship that he's now become a part of, yeah, like the individual relationships that we build, that's why humanity is worth saving. I may not like that, like uh, the Green Bay Packers quarterback has a platform to spew bullshit about how he's an expert because he talked to Joe Rogan, but being able to laugh about it with my girlfriend and, you know, be glad that the Jets have never traded for him is part of why you can empathize them with Brian Tyree and his character. Those are some of the plot points that I did like, Oz. What about you? One thing that I wanted to talk about were were the, the stingers. I, I thought they were very 
Interesting. That's I the know. next thing. That's next. I didn't know if anything in the the full movie that we haven't already discussed that was spoiler related. I appreciate that this is an MCU movie that has sex in it. I think mm. that's good. We've we've purged sex since the first Iron Man, so it's I, I like my my film characters to fuck sometimes. I was about so. to say, as you mentioned in our our Skyfall review, you miss fucking. I miss fucking. Yes. I, I really. I, <laughs> maybe it's because I've been married for a while, but I, I miss oh, fucking. <laughs> Uh, I miss uh, I miss movies. Oh, you're so real. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I, I miss I miss beautiful movie stars having fake sex with one another in movies. I think it's good. I think it's healthy. I think we could learn a lesson from the Europeans here, and I I greatly applaud. Uh, the slow rhythmic thrusting of Richard Madden oh, in this movie. So. <laughs> the details. Uh, um. No, I, I think I do think it's good that there's there are there are human elements in this movie, like the sex scene, like that there's a gay couple in this movie that are just incorporated without the weird like the Russo brothers casting him one of them as one of one of the brothers casting himself as mm-hmm. a gay man at a support group in in Endgame. It's it's good to just have things be normal and natural and not be a not be like a thing where we need to pat ourselves on the back and i actually that's think that's not even the most atrocious thing about that scene is that he says he misses the mets if thanos <laughs> if thanos snapped away half the population but the mets are gone i'm kind of like you know what i'm that larry david gif of like all right well yeah hey, you know what honestly i'm not sure there's going to be any players on the mets next year because even without this snap no one wants the no one wants to be the gm so. exactly oh god that's entirely other podcast <laughs> um yeah i i agree with you about the the um the, the brian tyree henry character just kind of being a normalized thing that I guess is a big deal for the MCU. This is the first like on-screen thing we've seen it. It's a big deal for nine-figure movies. I mean, they're they're, they're uh, to to their credit, they're not parsing in some of the shittier countries. So there are some countries where they just cut all human intimacy straight or or gay and and don't and release the movie just without those scenes, which is fucking gross fuck those countries uh and then there are other countries uh fuck them worse uh who only object to the gay scenes and to give them credit they're they're just not releasing the movie in like i don't know i don't even remember like uae or something like that but they're they're just not releasing the the movie there so that that i think is a a positive thing for a company that has deservedly gotten quite a few black eyes for their uh releasing policies and the the concessions they make to uh less than ideal government actors Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i i i think there is much merit in the way that they've chosen to start moving forward with normalizing you know we didn't even talk about it and that's because the movie treated it so nonchalantly that there's a deaf superhero in this we've never had a yes a deaf superhero or we've had a blind superhero where it's like a kitsch gimmick of of ben affleck like feeling out the different sized bills and his different folded bills in his wallet um it's nice we had i I think it's i think it's a a good performance um I think it's effective to see people signing and maybe it's just because I've watched Coda like nine times this year, but uh, I, I like it. It makes, it makes me happy. It makes it seem more like what life is like to see an occasional deaf person in a superhero movie. Uh, I just think it's, it, it's, it's incremental forward progress. So you mentioned the post-credit scenes. Just making sure I didn't miss anything. Oh, I, so I mentioned all the Game of Thrones references. I, I, 
I am impressed that you were able to hear the word Cersei throughout the movie and not just immediately think about okay wow I so, smirked about it I, I but I, I felt yeah, more but, bemused uh, if, than Sto- out of if it. Stallone's in a movie and they're calling him Rocky throughout the movie you're not gonna be like so you casted Sylvester Stallone to play a character named Rocky like <laughs> like it's it's it, especially the the when he says my family history is complicated my entire row just started laughing it's like yeah you think you know, are we going to spend nine seasons or technically six and a half because we don't acknowledge the last season and a half of that show? Um, so the Game of Thrones references aside, we talked about um, the post credit scenes. So the first one, Thena, the first one. So Thena, uh, Druig and Makari are on the Eternal ship. And all of a sudden, through a, a wormhole, a, some type of uh, a character, a, a little troll-looking character played by Patton Oswalt walks out, and he introduced. Oh, go ahead. I, I just want to. I want to cut in on there. That is the worst CGI that troll character that the MCU <laughs> has ever used. It looks. It looks like something from a video game in like 1999, and I. I. I don't know what the fuck happened there. I. I just. I really don't. But I'll. I'll, I'll please continue. Please. Continue. No, I. I gotta be honest. I. I had to pee so bad at that point in the movie and I knew that there was a mid credit scene and then a post credit scene. So at that point, I was just like, all right, show me Harry Styles so I can go pee. Because, and this is not a critique on the movie, this is a critique on Twitter.com. About a month ago, somebody put on Twitter like something for both me and my girlfriend to see. It was Variety, by the so way. So Variety it, put that Harry Styles plays Thanos' brother in Eternal. So I didn't realize that it was like a full spoiler. So because I knew that was coming, there no drama for me. And I think my theater also knew it was coming because they were just waiting for Harry to walk down that hallway. And they he shows up, they announce him as, as brother of Thanos, and he says, your friends are in big trouble and I know how to save them. And cut to black and the rest of the credits roll. Um, what interests you about Harry Styles as Eros or Star Fox as Thanos' brother? Uh, Look, I'm 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 no expert on this character, though I'm at least very vaguely familiar with it. Uh, I think that this is a kind of cool example. I know it's been criticized as like a pop culture play, like oh, we're going to get Harry Styles in our movie because it'll make a lot of noise on Twitter. But I I think it's sort of interesting because he has a lot of cool stuff coming up. He's the lead in Olivia Wilde's next movie. He's the lead in a Tony Gilroy movie. He's I think playing um uh i think he's doing like the the ziggy stardust david bowie movie where he's Ah, gonna play that role the one that's gonna actually have the songs on like the god-awful one that came out last year so he's this is a this is someone whose stock is rising tremendously in hollywood and i think the idea of getting him into one of those horribly you know horribly structured seven movie deal things now is is a pretty good idea and i think that uh i Look, I I think I've only seen him in Dunkirk. Maybe I'm missing something, but he's he's fine. I he's fine in Dunkirk. And the I, actual thing I think to go to for his acting abilities, as weird as this sounds, is Saturday Night Live. He did his episode yeah. of Saturday Night Live. He's really good he is in good. that. And I thought he could do the Marvel quippy humor really well too. Which at times he could be self deprecating. At times he could be the like telling the joke I, I was actually like okay he would fit well into a cosmic co- guardians of the galaxy yeah it would be a very good guardians character yeah, so that's where i thought why well, i went with that i i think that makes perfect sense i i think it's a good addition i i think it will also excite people about this weird space shit 
side mm-hmm. of Marvel that's coming that even I'm not all that excited about. So I, I think that's a that's a good thing. And then the other big one. So I I'm actually curious how many people knew the voice. They knew who in your theater. I did not have this one spoiled for me. I knew okay. that Harry Styles was in the no, movie. No, no, and I actually, meant like when it happens, when you hear Mahershala Ali say what he said, who knew? Like who reacted? The answer is nobody. Nobody, okay. Even I, when I heard it, I was like, that, what did they do to Jeffrey Wright's voice? And I thought it was, uh, I thought it was okay. The Watcher at first. And then as I was walking out of the theater, I was like, oh shit, it's Mahershala. Uh-huh. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, it just like took my brain a minute to to process it. And probably because I, I had just been, I, uh, Spoilers for Christmas. I just ordered a Captain Carter thing for my mm. daughter before heading to the uh, the theater. So I had what if on my mind. Um, but I, I I think that uh, boy, boy, is that an exciting one? Because uh, they've they've really soft sold Blade and what what's happening there with the development of that movie after they first introduced it. I, I've heard some some scuttlebutt that it's a lot further along than than we know in terms of who's making it and things of that nature but uh this uh, it's it's very exciting for Mahershala Blade to be in this and I think that uh the the Black Knight character that Kit Harrington is actually playing is a very cool character and it seems like they're going to do this sort of darker quasi not quite R-rated but monsters universe of the MCU. Let's hope they leave the Jared Leto Morbius out. But uh, we, between Mahershala and the Kit Harrington character, it, it, it wouldn't be crazy speculation to suggest that the Oscar Isaac Moon Knight character would fit very nicely in that realm. Uh, there, that I think is an area that the MCU could do some really cool stuff. And I sure hope they're willing to play around with our ratings, but I assume we're just going to get, PG thirteenified versions of it, but mm-hmm. it could be that I think is really exciting. So real quick, I just want to s- recap what happens in the in the post credit scene. So Kid Harrington, um, Dane Whitman, his character is in a office of sort, looks more like a like a professor's library. Uh, no, it's it's uh, the museum from the beginning where he's oh, so teaching the kids. He is in the museum and he sees a long box that clearly a sword is inside and he opens it up and it reveals the ebony blade correct i think so and it has three uh, a saying in in latin or greek written on it and uh it translates into death will be my reward uh and it reveals to those in the know like mr ozrowski that Kid harrington's character is actually black knight and as he's about to reach for the blade you hear a voice Rahershal Ali says, are you sure you're ready for that, Mr. Whitman? And cut to black and the Eternals will return in the MCU. Um, Three people in my theater reacted. Now, I was one of them because I know Mahershal Ali's voice. I'm, I'm just a very big fan of his work. Goes all the way back to Remy Danton in House of Cards. Uh, I am uh, a little. Don't, don't discount Predators, which uh, oh yeah, will, that... will some someday show up on the the Lost episode. That being said, I got it right away, and it's the loudest and bi- biggest reaction I had to anything else in this movie. And I even turned to the other guy sitting two seats beside me that was then explaining to his girlfriend, like, Oh, that's going to be blade. And I was like, thank you for being the other person that got this. Um, <laughs> so I chuck up a lot of the things that we haven't heard about blade to the pandemic. I'm just, 
accounting for a lot of things being shuffled and put either on the back burner or just not in the forefront in in Disney and the MCU. Uh, I don't has a Blade movie been announced yet as far as when we're getting that movie? They have not dated it, but they they announced actually a, a couple announcement series ago that Mahershala is playing Blade, and but they have not announced the writer or director. Um, there's been a little bit from the trades on it. There there are rumors floating around that decisions have been made and that this thing is actually pretty close to shooting. So maybe with this movie coming out, we can now hear some of these things start to come out. I've heard, I don't know if it's true or not, that Mahershala has already filmed scenes as the character, just not for the Blade movie. Uh, so okay. maybe showing up somewhere else. I am all aboard. I, I From him. the moment he showed up at one of the, the expos, uh, which is, I think, the very end of the Marvel Phase 4 announcement because they Sounds were right. announcing Black Widow. They were announcing uh, the Thor uh, Love and Thunder. They were announcing Eternals at this. And then the very last thing was they brought Mahershala on stage and he put on a Blade hat and everybody was like, oh, shit, we're not going to hear about this for years. Um, <laughs> so we are years later and we get that uh, a very effective moment. In fact, it it made me more OK with the fact that Kit Harrington's in this movie for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Kit Harrington's not in this movie because he has anything to do with it. It's 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 scenery setting for other stuff, which is I think it's sometimes good, but often um, the most infuriating thing about these movies for folks who aren't crazy like me. <laughs> Oz, do you have anything you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Oz on Movies. Go to theadventuredreams.com. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Please give us a five-star review. It's very helpful. Uh, it helps us keep making bonus episodes and real episodes of Final Review. Uh, and we really appreciate you listening. Uh, enjoy the Knicks game tonight. Kemba's out. Thank you. So you'll get to see a lot of... Should be primary point guard Derek Rose. My son's wearing his quickly jersey, so hopefully we get we get some nice quick with the second unit. I, I dig it. Hopefully, maybe some little bit of deuce, maybe a little grimes. I, I'd be okay with that. All of this is coming out after the fact, which will probably mean <laughs> Tibbs only played nine tonight, and none of that happened, and quickly still Ro only Rose, ended up- Rose plays 38 minutes tonight. You think? Maybe that's no, no. probably low, <laughs> is unfortunate. Probably <laughs> <laughs> plays all 48. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening. We'll be back soon. Uh, I hinted this at the end of the- uh, Logan pod because you got to hear what music it was. We're going to try and do Alien. We're going to either re-record the episode or I'm going to work some magic with one half of the episode. <laughs> Point being, thank you for listening and tune in next time for another final review. <laughs> <laughs>